invite you to turn with me this afternoon to Zechariah chapter 10. We return to Zechariah once again. And you'll see a bit of an outline on the back of the bulletin. Um, you can follow along in light of those verses. Uh, in Christ, what does God provide? Spiritual renewal. We see that in verses 1 and 2. In verses 3 through 5, strong leaders. And 3, in connection with that, strength for his church. And 4, we see the judgment on bad shepherds. So that's, uh, I trust that's a uh, faithful outline to the um, passage that we plan to read this morning. Zechariah 10, beginning at verse 1. And we read through chapter 11, verse 3. Ask the Lord for rain. In the time of the latter rain, the Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. For the idols speak delusion. The diviners envision lies and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore the people wander their way like sheep. They are in trouble because there is no shepherd. My anger is kindled against the shepherds. And I will punish the goat herds, or you could say the he-goats. For the Lord of hosts will visit his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them as his royal horse in the battle. From him comes the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler together. They shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. And then you see in verses, oh, sorry, one more. Then they shall fight because the Lord is with them, and the riders on horses shall be put to shame. And then you notice in verses 6 through 12, it begins with the Lord promising to strengthen his people through the leaders. And verse 12, I will strengthen the people. So this is really what it's all about. Verse 6, I will strengthen the house of Judah. Or you can say, I will strengthen the church. I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside. For I am the Lord their God and I will hear them. Those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man. Their hearts shall rejoice as if with, with, with new wine. Yes, their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them. For I will redeem them. And they shall increase as they once increased. I will sow them among the peoples, and they shall remember me in far countries. They shall live together with their own children, and they shall return. I will also bring them back from the land of Egypt, and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon, until no more room is found for them. You shall pass through the sea with affliction, and strike the ways of the sea. All the depths of the river shall dry up. Then the pride of Assyria shall be brought down, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. So I will strengthen them in the Lord. They shall walk up and down in his name, says the Lord. Open your doors, O Lebanon. The fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen. Because the mighty trees are ruined. Wail, O oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has come down. There's a sound of wailing, shepherds. For their glory is in ruins. There is the sound of roaring lions, for the pride of the Jordan 
is in ruins. That's uh, also what we focus on this morning. You notice that this is all under an oracle. An oracle, or another word is burden. So what the Lord is saying through Zechariah is often very heavy things. Heavy things in the sense of, not, not that they're not easy to understand, but in the sense of, it's like, take note, pay attention, Church of Jesus Christ. That's basically uh, what an oracle is all about. And you see the first one in verses, or chapters 9 and 10. But notice here how he begins. Ask for rain. What's asking? It's praying, isn't it? What does it mean? Well, we know that during the summer, spring and summer, what do farmers look for? They look for rain. If there's no rain, the ground becomes dry and the crops wither. But there is another level here. It's the same thing spiritually. It's not only the ground, but sometimes God's people can become dry. Life gets hard. And we begin to question, God, where's your blessing? For God's people in Zechariah's time, it's the church back then as well as today, life was hard. They were small. They were under leaders, foreign leaders actually, who were oppressing them, assaulting them, assaulting them for their faith in Jesus Christ. They had many questions, but you know, they wanted to be faithful to the Lord. And here in Zechariah 10, the Lord through Zechariah, he encourages them to rise above their disappointments, to rise above the hardships, and to put their hope in the coming king, the coming king Jesus, the promised shepherd. That's the, that's the message here. Of course, today we know the king has come, and there's still a further coming that we anticipate. But back then, you know, Jesus was central. The promise of Jesus was central, was to be central into their lives. And so the blessing, the blessing of the promised shepherd is that rain they are praying for. The blessing of Jesus is that rain. Right? The blessing of the word of God is that rain that we need. Is the rain that we need to look for. And here in Jesus, God in his faithfulness provides four things under the roof of his word. Spiritual renewal, strong leaders, strength for his people, and also a warning of judgment. You know, spiritual renewal begins with ourselves. Think of our nation, our land. It begins with asking the Lord. Asking is a position of humility, of humbling ourselves. But we can only do that when we see our need for the Lord, when we see the need for rain in our lives, even as a nation. Verse 1, ask the Lord for rain. He's the one who answers. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. Now, 
Israel was used to having two kinds of rains, or two different rains, one in the fall and one in the spring. But notice here, it asks for the latter rain, in the time of the latter rain, that refers to the spring rains. The early rains in the fall, okay, they provided moisture that prepared the ground, hopefully, for the springtime. The latter rains, that's the spring rains, were required for the crops to just swell and, and grow and become fruitful. Think of this. God's people had returned from exile. They had returned to the Lord. That was like the autumn rains. They had come back by God's grace. But now they need to keep on growing. They need to continue to keep on maturing, becoming more fruitful in the Lord's service. That's like the spring rains. They were saved as a congregation, but now they need to have a fertile and fruitful life. Ask the Lord for rain. Why? He's the only giver. Not just of physical rains, right? But also of the, the spiritual rain that we need. Take cover! Where? Under the roof of his word. And worship. Take cover. That's where you're going to find the rains. Under his word. He will make, why, why is he the, why, why ask the Lord for rain? Look at the rest of verse 1. He will make flashing clouds. He's the one who makes the clouds. He will give them showers, showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. He's the God who answers through his word and by his spirit. And that means, of course, living by faith, believing that under God's word and walking in obedience to him, that's the way we receive his blessing. That's the only way his blessing comes to us is being under his word and the work of his spirit in our lives. I love this hymn. Think of the words of the hymn. There will be showers of blessing. This is the promise of God. There will be seasons refreshing sent from the Father above. Remember when Israel returned to the Lord in Acts and Peter said, repent and be converted and return to the Lord. For there will be times of refreshing under the presence of the Lord. In a sense, this is what Zechariah is saying here. By living our lives in humble dependence on the living and true God, living in obedience to his word, that's when we enjoy the blessings of his covenant. That's when we enjoy his faithfulness in our lives. But it doesn't mean that we won't be assaulted by Satan. It doesn't mean we won't be assaulted by those in the darkness all around us. Israel was experiencing the same thing in the times of Zechariah. You know, in times of spiritual dryness, when we lack courage, you know what the temptation is? The temptation is to turn to other gods. On one level, think of new believers. New believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes they're told, you're making your other gods, the other gods, angry. And sometimes there's a great temptation to turn away from God and please those gods, even though they are false. Even though they are dead. Even though they're not real. Or think of our own nation 
Canada. I know we can apply to many other nations, but we live here. Many of us have immigrated to a land that is so dark, dark, spiritually, spiritually dark. We are ruled by shepherds, premier, prime minister, governing authorities who don't know the word of the Lord. They're not depending on the word of the Lord. They've abandoned God's word and turned to other gods in the culture and also promoting them in the church. And if you notice, just recently some stats came out from Ligonier Ministries, which is very reliable, and you see how that is also affecting the church. There was one, one, one thing that was said. There's, according to, um, this is the, uh, among the evangelicals, this is among Christians in America. Okay, the statement was said, God accepts worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. How many evangelicals do you think agree with that? That God accepts the worship of all the religions of the world? 56%. What does it tell you? What does it tell us? There's a need for rain. We need to pray for rain. Um, another thing was asked. Okay, is Jesus a great teacher? But not God? And how many agreed that he's not God? 43% of Christians, of evangelicals. What does that tell us? There's a need for rain. Need for rain. Another thing, gender identity, it is said, is a matter of choice. If you want whatever gender you want to be, how many evangelicals agree with that? 37%. Brothers and sisters, we need to pray. We need to pray for rain in our churches, in our land, among our children. Very, 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 very important. Why? Because God reminds the people in verse 2, the idols speak delusion. See verse 2? The diviners envision lies. They tell false dreams, and the comfort that they offer is in vain. Diviners Try to predict the future. That's what a diviner is. Think of a lot of our COVID models. That's divination. A lot of the models, according to COVID doctors, that's divination. Climate models, that's divination. Because they're trying to predict the future apart from God and his word. Where he says, seasons will continue till the very end of the age. We need to turn away from them and trust the Lord. Diviners predict a future, but it's false, false, false. It gives empty comfort. And any comfort just evaporates in the face of reality. People don't think about the fact that sometimes you leave the Lord, He sends famines, He sends disasters. Don't try to predict it and explain it by a model. We need to turn back to the Lord. We need to ask the Lord for rain. And you see in our nation, the results are devastating by departing from the Lord. People wander like sheep. See verse 2? They're in trouble. 
We are land in trouble because there's no shepherd. And that's what happened to God's people. Because God's people listened to diviners. Because God's people listened to idols and worshipped idols. He put them into exile. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And it was their king, their shepherd, the kings of Judah, the kings of Israel, that led the way and led them astray. You know, those who reject the Lord and those who reject his word for falsehoods, for lies, are left without any shepherd, have no shepherd to look at, and no true and living God on whom they can lean. If you forsake him, it's dry. It's troublesome. It's weary. It's darkness. God promised his people here, a shepherd king Jesus, that in him he will provide the showers of blessings under his word and bring spiritual renewal. Oh, how important it is to ask for rain for us and for our children. The temptations to turn away are many. And here the Lord through the prophet Zechariah says, ask for rain. You get it from me. Ask for rain. You know, out of that, not only does God provide times of refreshing and renewal, but out of that, he also will provide leaders. Leaders faithful to him. We can pray for that for our nation. We can pray for that for our, te- our, for, our, for our pastors and elders and leaders. And that brings us to verses 3 through 5. Yeah, strong leaders. And we can trust him for that because the Lord here shows himself and proves himself to be that faithful shepherd, the shepherd of his people here. Look to him. Verse 3, he says, My anger is kindled against the shepherds. You ever think about that in our nation? God's anger is kindled against the shepherds, the rulers, the kings, because they're not dependent upon the word of the Lord. They're not dependent upon God. And that's why the Lord removed the Judean kings. The people were left at the mercy of foreign kings and other nations. But God said, enough is enough. Those foreign kings aren't dependent on me either. He called them he goats, right? He goes. And yet, in the midst of all of this, God comes back to his people. And in his faithfulness to all his promises, he says, come. The Lord of hosts will visit. He will visit his flock, the house of Judah. And what will he make them into? He will make him into a royal horse in battle. His royal horse. Think of the image of a royal horse. It's a very important image here. God will visit them by blessing them, and he will raise strong leaders among his people in the church. Not those like the world, but those who are willing to battle the world, to battle its ideas, to battle the darkness, the spiritual forces of darkness, in the name of the Lord. That royal horse 
The royal horse is a picture of God's people and, and those who are leading his people as strong leaders. You notice, we know that God did visit them. God visited them ultimately in the coming of Christ. And through him, he makes his church a royal horse in the mission to the world. You know, we need to see that, that the church is not just some little thing. In, this, in the view of the state, the church is some little thing in the corner. But it's God's royal horse, the royal horse of his kingdom, meant to carry out the message of the gospel throughout the world. Notice verse 4. From him, that means from Judah, comes the cornerstone, number one. From him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler together. That is, from Judah, from God's restored community, from Judah, who comes? Four titles of Christ are given here. The cornerstone, you could say the nail, the battle bow, and the absolute ruler. I like the way Joel Vicky explains this very brief, very nicely. In the cornerstone, Jesus, the sure foundation, the only trustworthy one in whom we can trust. Nothing else can we trust. He's trustworthy. The only hope for sinners. Cornerstone. Think of Ephesians 2 verse 20. The cornerstone of the building, of the temple. As the nail. What, is nail, what, what does a nail do? You can hang your hat on a nail. You can hang your jacket on a nail. This is the meaning here. Christ holds up any weight and load. He holds up under any weight and load. He bore the load of our guilt and sin and is able to hold us even in times of trouble and cares. We can, we can hang it all on him. Put everything on him, on that nail, on Christ. Put it all on him. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Third, as battle bow, think of the royal horse. He's the rider. Brings his church with him. He's the one who can conquer people in his grace. Conquer sinners in his grace. Yes, he is able and the unfailing defender of his people. And as an absolute ruler, he rules either by grace or with iron. It's critical that we be citizens of his kingdom, not enemies. There's two sides. There's only two groups of people in the world. Citizens of his kingdom and those who are enemies of his kingdom. From him, from Judah, comes a cornerstone, the nail, the, what's the third one? The battle bow, the absolute ruler. With him as their shepherd, his people in verse 5, it says, shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. You see the fruits of asking for rain? Church with courage and strength under the strong leaders. It's a picture of the gospel of the kingdom. It's a picture of people standing up for Jesus Christ, making advances in the kingdom and moving forward with the word of God. From the rain, God raises true leaders, true shepherds. Judah also was to live by this promise. 
The ultimate shepherd had not yet come, but they could live, they were to live, they were called to live by this promise, the promise of the coming shepherd, and trust God to provide her with strong leaders in the meantime. And Nehemiah, Amalekai, some among the Maccabees, right? Between the time of Zechariah to the coming of Christ. They were to trust him for his promises. Trust the Lord in his faithfulness. Think of David earlier, right? Think of all the fights he had as a shepherd among the sheep when he was looking after the sheep in the fields. That prepared him to fight Goliath. Wow. You know, true shepherds depend on God and they cultivate the same quality in others. That's the secret of the strength of God's people. The secret of the strength of God's people are shepherds who depend upon the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your leaders here in the Hope Congregation. We need strength. Pray that they may be strong under the shepherd Jesus. You know, the results of true and strong leadership in the church, that's described for us in verses 6 through 12. Blessings abound, right? Under his covenant, in obedience to his word, there's blessing. There's strength. And that brings us to that third point. There's strength for his people. There's strength for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the words of verse 6 and verse 12. I will strengthen. Who will strengthen? The Lord God. I will strengthen. You ask for rain, I will strengthen. That's one promise for sure. That's an answer that he will give for sure. I will strengthen. God is a strengthener. And it's to him that we must look, both shepherds and sheep alike, if we are to be strong in hard times. The early rains had already arrived, you could say, in, among God's people in the time of Zechariah. See verse 6. God already says through Zechariah to his people, I will strengthen you. I'm going to strengthen you. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to strengthen you because of my commitment to you. Because of my promises to you. You ask. You trust me. I will strengthen the house of Judah, says verse 6. I will save the house of Joseph. Judah and Joseph represent the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom of Israel when they were divided. He says, I will bring them back. Why? Because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside. For I am the Lord their God and I will hear them. You ask. Rain, he says, I will hear you. Okay, so they were saved. The scatter flock would be saved and brought back. Verse 7, they were made joyful. Those of Ephraim shall be like mighty men, and their hearts shall rejoice as with new wine. Yes, their children see it and be glad. Isn't that wonderful? When, when children see parents rejoicing in the Lord, and then the children can also rejoice. Oh, this, this is like Zacharias preaching in New Testament times. <laughs> he's, see, he's seeing the connection. Like parents, like children. Yes, their children shall see it, it says here, and be glad. Their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. Wow. So brought back safe 
They are made joyful. They're redeemed. Look at verse 8. I will whistle for them. You know, sometimes farmers, in order to get the cows out of the field or the sheep, they'll make a whistling sound. And then they all come. Okay? Now, that's not to say God sees us that way, but the sense of the voice of the Lord, his word, is like a whistle. And he says, I will gather them, for I will redeem them, and they shall increase as they once increased. Brought back and gathered. Look at verse 10. I will bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. Remember where they were before, in the land of Egypt and Assyria. Wow. I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon. That means their own land. Until no more room is found for them. Verse 12. So I will strengthen them in the Lord, and they shall walk up and down in his name, says the Lord. There's a sense of freedom here. Because when we have the Lord, when we're in the Lord, there's a sense of freedom, isn't there? It's God who brings all this about. You notice if you look at verses 6 through 12, I will, I will, I will, I will. When you ask, he will, he will, he will. That's our covenant God. Not because we deserve it, but because of his promises. Psalm 84, verse 7. Don't you love that verse? From strength to strength we go. In the midst of all the hardships, we go from strength to strength. The words of this prophecy. Of course, they started being fulfilled in those days. They had the promises. But they began to be fulfilled in an even fuller way in the first coming of Jesus Christ. How? In his death, in his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and the receiving of the power of his spirit that was poured upon his people at Pentecost. You know what? He did come from Judah. Just as God said to Zechariah 500 years before, God keeps his word. We can trust him. Even when it doesn't seem like we can, we can trust him. He did come from Judah. Christ came from him. Not only that, he took upon himself the punishment, the exile that we were in, that we deserved the exile forever. He took that upon himself for our sins. And out of that judgment, our shepherd king Jesus, what's he do? He brings forth a new people. In his resurrection, there's a new and fuller exodus. Redemption, look at verse 8 again, in a fuller way. Deliverance, verse 10. Passage through the sea, through his death and resurrection. It's like going through the sea. At Pentecost, the divided house of Israel, Judah and Joseph, were brought back together again. Remember, the disciples were commanded to go to Jerusalem and Samaria, to Judah and Joseph, and beyond that, to the ends of the earth. God bringing his people back together from all the ends of the earth. Wow. The risen Lord Jesus Christ, the risen shepherd of his sheep, begins to gather, and today is gathering from all the ends of the earth, a new Israel of God. That's happening today. His church. He gathers the scattered flock through true shepherds. He sends them to Jerusalem. He sends them to Dia, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And who were the first shepherds? The apostles. The twelve apostles of Christ.
Wow. They are the royal horse going into battle, going forward into the world with the church, declaring the message of the shepherd. They're bringing the rain. Well, actually, God bringing the rain through them. The rains that we so much need. In the book of Acts, what do we hear? We hear the apostles appealing to magistrates, city officials, idol worshipers. We see them resisting them with the word of God and bringing the word of life to them. No matter the consequences. Because they need the rain. God was with them, verse 5. And we see them strengthening the apostles going back. You know, God, Christ is conquering idolaters and making them believers. And we see them going back to the congregations. Doing what? Strengthening. There's that theme again. Strengthening the believers in the faith. And uh, you see Christ busy raising congregations out of the empires of dirt and dust. You see the life of his kingdom at work. There's more here. This prophecy is not yet fully fulfilled. We still live in these days today. It's fulfilled when Christ returns. You know, the mention of Egypt and Assyria in verses 10 and 11, it's really a picture about those who really oppress the church today. Think of the church being persecuted in Iran, in India, Pakistan, and China. Okay? They are the Assyria. They are the Egypt who oppress the church. And they make life very, very difficult. The sea of affliction in verse 11. That's what God's people pass through in the sea of trouble. Troubles will come to Christians. They will. And they don't always make sense of it. But who makes sense of it? Who is the one in whom we can trust? The Lord. He was bringing us to a much more greater and glorious home. Trust him. The promised shepherd provides strength for his people. And you know, and leaders have a crucial role to play in this. I like what Joe Boot writes. He's from Canada, so he speaks very clearly to our situation. He speaks to uh, when Nebuchadnezzar was calling all the people to fall down before the idol. And he makes reference to that. He says, God knows our temptation to do what everyone else is doing. So if everyone falls to their knees when the music plays, it requires faith, it requires courage to stand there alone. To stand there alone. How many of us don't face that in our own work situations? As a Christian, you say, I need to stand alone. But God gives the strength for that. And he will bless it. When we cannot be sure we won't suffer, we cannot be sure we won't suffer when we choose the path of obedience. But we obey anyway and trust God with the rest. Trust him. You will find God always to be faithful. Always. Always. Verse 11 says that the surging sea will be subdued. It will be quieted down. Think of Jesus' words. Think of Jesus stilling the storm. Peace. Be still. God is able to do that. And you will pass through it. And you will pass through all those trials and troubles and things you don't understand or are bewildered by. But God will bring you through it all and bring you home. Trust Him. In the meantime, 
The promised shepherd provides warnings of dangers ahead. Lots of warnings. There, there is warnings. You see in verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 11, he pictures a catastrophe sweeping south through the land of Israel. Trees being burnt. No, this is not because of models of climate change. It's the Lord breaking down, bringing judgment for a reason. It will come from the north. Look at verses 1 and 2. Open your doors, O Lebanon. They're not the ones asking for rain. So God now says, you're not asking for rain. Now open your doors. The fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cypress, for the cedar has fallen, because the mighty trees are ruined. Wail, O Oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been cut down. The whole land, you notice here, is in ruins. There's judgment on the bad shepherds. That's what verse 3 brings out. If you look at verse 1 and 2, you say, huh, what's all this mean? Verse 3 is the point. God brings judgment, terror on the shepherds who are not faithful to him. Verse 3, there is a sound of wailing shepherds. You won't want to hear that. It's terrible. It's terrifying. The wailing that would come. Why? Their glory is in ruin. So much for the pompous shepherds who thought that they were powerful and good. Look at King Herod. God struck him with worms and he died. There's a sound of roaring lions for the pride of the Jordans in ruins. But here, you know, God speaks about the devastating judgment that was to come on the land of Israel. When was that? Well, that was when the Jews and their leaders, the shepherds, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, when they rejected Christ, And what happened? God fulfilled the words of Zechariah here in 70 AD when the Romans came from the north. So this is already fulfilled. The Romans came from the north and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and there was blood flowing everywhere. The shepherds were wailing. They had rejected Christ. They were not following Christ. They did not receive the blessing of Christ. That prophecy was fulfilled in 70 AD. You know, and that has also application for today. Shepherds who do not care for the flock, Christ will remove. He will remove. Shepherds who do not rule a nation in the way that he calls them to, he will remove them. There will be weeping and wailing. Fenske writes this. He says, the greatest danger facing the Canadian church is not that we might get criminal charges, but that we might compromise the teaching of God's word. Why is it that 37% of Christians in the United States say gender is your choice? What's happening? Who's teaching? Warnings. The shepherd is so gracious to us. He warns us of these things. He warns us. Shepherds must stand up. Shepherds must lead. Shepherds must love their sheep and lead them in the way of God's word. They need courage. God gives that courage from strength to strength. They move on. You know, Christ has already won the victory. He's on his royal horse and the church is with him. Think of a royal horse. That's a symbol of his kingdom. 
His worldwide mission goes on, but not without difficulty. Battles must be fought, blood must be shed, suffering hardship must be endured, but the church is his royal horse in battle, and the outcome is certain. The outcome is no doubt certain. Don't doubt it for a minute. There will be two different outcomes. At his return, at Christ's return, the Bible says that he will crush kings on the day of his wrath. Psalm 110. And his sharp arrows will pierce at the hearts of his enemies. Psalm 45, verse 5. But at the final gathering of the full number of God's people, that will also be on that day. And you know what? On that day, we won't say, we'll say Assyria and Egypt, but also Revelation 19 talks about Babylon. Babylon, who oppresses the church today, will be fallen down to the pit. No longer able to oppress the people of God. And that will be forever and ever and ever. Babylon is fallen. In principle already, but it will be in fullness. And the other thing is, Revelation 21, there will be no more sea. Think of all the sea of affliction today. No more sea. Revelation 21. A new creation. And this goes back to the previous verse of of Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah 9 verse 17. His people shall be like the jewels of a crown, lifted like a banner over the land. For how great is its goodness, and how great is its beauty. You know, remember this. God is faithful. He will do it. He will carry out every word that he has given. Fall under that word. Live under that word. That's the only place where we will find rain, showers, a blessing, trust, and obey. Amen.